the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is amazing to think that many people still believe that it is what they do that generates merit to God and not what God has done. We're exploring that truth next here on Abounding Grace. From a full-on complete obedience to the law to maintenance of the law, many people seem to think that they have something to contribute to their salvation and their right standing before God. The Apostle Paul says, sorry, that's just not the case. And that's what we're looking at here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner as we explore once again Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. God's children are his children by grace alone, and that is the lesson we're learning today and seeking to understand for the purpose of finding great comfort and hope in a secure foundation in Christ alone. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Here's Pastor Gary. All of us deserve to be cut off, all of us. Not only is our spiritual guilt and Adam enough for that, but to this we add a pile of our own individual sins. So we are strongly urged in this passage not to presume on God's grace. Now we can depend on his promises, but presuming, think that, well, I attend church, I take the Lord's Supper, I'm safe. I have a Christian family, I'm saved. And God is obligated somehow to save me. I may not go along with the wickedness of the majority. But even if I do for a while, God will bring me back. I can always ask for forgiveness later, right? How many people who are described in this very passage are in hell thinking, we can come back later? You know, when God says, hear my voice and listen to my word, there is only now. There's no guarantee of later. There is only now. There is no guarantee of later, beloved. Today, he says, hear my voice. Today, humble yourself. Come to my Savior, my Son. Look to me today and be saved. So if we are preserved in evil times like this remnant here, it is because the Lord freely determined to show mercy to us. That's the only reason. It's not our moral superiority. It's not our doctrinal fidelity. In fact, if there is doctrinal faithfulness and love for God's word and a desire to please him, it's not because we are holding fast to that and to God as much as it is he is holding fast to us. There is nothing. Think about this. 
there is nothing that would prevent me and you from going off with the mass of rebels and nothing to prevent you if our hearts were given free reign. So each one of us must be humbled. Every one of you. We must humble ourselves under the hand of the Lord and confess ourselves to be great sinners before him. Yes, rejoice in his grace. Yes, rejoice in his mercy. But be sure that when you look upon the masses of Western society, and when you look even more pointedly at the text, masses of the professing church, whole denominations that have now left the old ways and have become nothing but gay pride parades and bastions of heresies, the old noble mainline denominations, we need to remember something. And that is, there is no room for pride and self-satisfaction in any of us that will only bring God's chastising upon us. It is because God preserves His mercy for those he has, he, he has set His love on. And we must be humbled before Him and confess every day, Lord, unless You hold on to me, I will go astray. I will go back and to the pit of my depravity immediately unless You hold fast to me. You see how that stirs the spirit of prayer? We sometimes say in our weakness, well, I really don't feel like praying. What? You don't feel like praying? As if prayer is like going on a diet or riding your bike around the block or going to work. And of course, it's not what prayer is. That's not what scripture tells us that it is. I need desperately to pray and be in his word. For it is then that I realize that I need mercy I need God to strengthen me. I need Him to hold on to me because I'm incapable of doing anything if He lets go of me. All I can do is do my best to hold fast to Him, believe His Word, to ask Him for grace, to depend on His strength and call upon the name of the Lord because I know I'm just as filthy and undeserving as all the rest. There's nothing in me that made Jesus Christ lay down his precious life to atone for my filth. Nothing. Nothing in you. Nothing in me. It was sovereign. Absolute sovereign undeserved mercy. Grace alone is what makes us and keeps us God's children. Now, there's one more passage. Isaiah 1. This is the last one and it is pitiable miserable passage of scripture but we need to hear it here Isaiah as he opens he says some pretty hard things about Gentiles about God's people and they are shocking verse 2 hear O heavens and give ear O earth for the Lord has spoken I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me the ox knows his owner it's pretty bad here to be compared to an ox and to an ass and the ass's master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not even consider. Why? Because they have forsaken my covenant. So they are dumber than animals. Look how he describes them in verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backwards. 
And then he says in verse 9, after giving this horrible description, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So what is the Lord saying here? Why does Paul quote this in Romans 9? Well, first, the thing we need to remember is that the Lord here speaks in the first person in Isaiah 1. And not simply in the sense of being inspired, although it is, but in the sense of him being a plaintiff, in the sense of putting his people on trial as a judge and the plaintiff. Let me tell you what you have done. Notice second, he says, I brought all these calamities upon you. Verse 5, why should you be stricken anymore? Look at all I have done to you. Verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. The Lord says, I brought all of this upon you because you have rebelled against me. Third, notice verse 8. The Lord is judging the majority. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge or a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. So the Lord says there's this mass that is just burned out. It's like a war zone, and there's one little standing in the middle of the field, hot standing in the middle of the field, and that, that is the true church. Everything else is just burned out, overrun by foreign enemies, and all there is is just this little remnant left. What is the point here? It is to demonstrate That what Paul says in Romans 9 is very true. The Lord hardens his enemies and he preserves his remnant by his own grace and by his own mercy. And both of those come from the same lump. Remember, here this is Israel as a whole. Both are from the same lump. But with one part of that lump he discriminates unto judgment And the other part of the lump he discriminates under mercy. In other words, he saves his elect. If his mercy had not intervened, the whole nation would have become, verse 9, like Sodom and Gomorrah, blind, perverse, judged. (coughs) And what is Sodom and Gomorrah today? It's just simply an ash heap. And this is what would have happened to Israel. Now we need to be very careful, or to that remnant, we need to be very careful in applying these things to the church because we need to speak very gingerly of ourselves, the bride of Christ. We need to be very careful when we talk about another man's wife. But it certainly seems like there is a similar dynamic today. I mean, there is a large contingency in this particular land that confesses to be God's people. But at the same time, there are fewer, far fewer, that want to walk in the old ways of God's word and hold fast to his covenant. Many want to comply with the spirit of the age. Some even tolerating immorality and encouraging the perversity going on in the city of man. What are we to make of this? Well, first... With the prophet, we can say, chapter 1, verse 21 of Isaiah, how has the faithful city become a harlot? That there would be these in the professing church who would embrace perversity 
and redefine marriage and reject God's law, embrace universalistic views of the gospel or perfectionist views of sanctification. There are those who would equate elevated feelings with true conversion. This should just utterly break our hearts. And this doesn't even touch the way in which God's grace is increasingly equated with boldness and sinning and even indifference to sin. God's covenant is rarely mentioned today. The creation of the world is so redefined as if God is no creator at all. And how often the cross is just treated sentimentally rather than the revelation of God's justice and mercy. And as we behold these things like the prophet, we cannot be but shocked. But we must remember, these things are not happening accidentally. There are those in the church who are otherwise perhaps orthodox, who believe there is going to be an inevitable flow of decline, then leading up to the return of Christ. But my friends, that cannot be. Because we live in the age of Jesus Christ. Peter announced at the first day of Pentecost. We see that in Acts 2. And nothing has changed, has happened to change that. It is the defining reality. No matter how much other men may turn away from this, redefine it, want to explain it away and spiritualize it. Peter defined the age in which we live in Acts 2.30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus, hath, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore, being at the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you shall see and hear. For David is not ascended into heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the age in which we live, beloved. There is a Lord and a King of all. There is a Christ, an anointed one, a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And He is the eternal Son of God, and He reigns over all things. And how does He rule? Turn to Psalm 110, a greater passage to see two ideas, very appropriate to Romans 9 and its application to us today. Psalm 110, verse, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send a rod of my strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. The, thy people shall be willing in the day of the power and the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. 
You see, this is the day of Christ's power. He is Lord and Christ. There is no other coming day of his power. This is it. And he rules, David said. And he sought in advance in the midst of his enemies. So as with Israel, listen. The faithful who looked around and saw how small the remnant was, as with Israel. There's another power at work in what we see in our day. The Lord is sifting the church. He's separating the true from the false. And if there is hardness of heart against the word, if there is blindness, understand he is judging and he is chastening. He is also the faithful Lord who is preserving a remnant even today where there is doctrinal fidelity, where there are humble and teachable hearts before his word. Not just here, but everywhere that worships God in the spirit and puts no confidence in the flesh and glories in Christ Jesus. And there is love for the old paths of God's truth. The Lord Jesus is building the true daughter of Zion. He is pruning her branches so that she may bear more fruit. So no believer, none of us can take credit for what God's work has done alone. And we can do, and all we can do is marvel and rejoice in His mercy. Worship Him and abide in the Lord Jesus. Oh, you better cling to Him. Because when we see declension, when we see blindness, when we see madness, when we see doctrinal indifferences and moral perversity within the sacred precincts of the church, we know the Lord Jesus is cutting off the dead branches and he is casting them into the fire. And when he does that work, we need to remember that the true church is going to blossom and flower under his wise rule. Remember something else. We're a little different than Isaiah's day. For the remnant is destined to be the majority. Time. Time, history, covenant, the reigning of Christ, the will of Almighty God is on the side of the remnant. In particular times of history, it may look like the true church is pretty small. That is certainly how the reformers saw it. That's certainly how you may see it today. But we need to remember this is short-lived because when the wicked spreads their arms like a great bay tree, it is so God will cut them down and they will be destroyed forever. And we may think, that's going to take a long time. But remember, God does not work on the timetable of our little lifespans. What he tells us to do in the meantime as you abide in me, You trust in me. If you love my word, it is because I did it to you. If you taste my mercy, it is because I have given you new taste buds. So look to me. Rejoice in my mercy. Don't take any credit for yourself. Don't look down your noses at other people and say, yeah, they're getting what they deserve. Yeah, yeah, that church over there, we know they're like that. You better be careful. Because Paul said in Romans 11, with respect to the Gentiles, if God cut off the natural branches take care least he cut off you if God seems to have cut off for those of you who know something of our Presbyterian history the dominations of the Alexanders and the Hodges if he cut off the denominations of the Thornwells Thornwells and the Palmers 
we better be really careful that he doesn't cut us off because we can't even shine their boots in terms of their love for the Lord and their knowledge of his word. Yet the Lord says, it's not the goodness of men or the merit of men that preserves my church. It is my mercy alone. So if you love the Lord Jesus and you're, you've been a born-again Christian or you live in a born-again Christian home and you've heard the gospel from your earliest days, pray this way. Lord, please humble me and give me a heart that is sensitive to your mercy. Please forgive me for my pride. Please forgive me for walking around thinking, well, I've got this mercy and I've got the gospel and Jesus I know is out there somewhere. But I'm going to go out and look at the daughters of the land. I'm going to go out like Simeon and Levi and practice my whoring ways. And then maybe later I'll come back. There may not be a later for any of you because today is the day of salvation. Give yourself to God, to the God of mercy now. He has opened up the floods of grace and mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come, beloved, do not delay. Confess your sins, repent of them. Come out of the darkness. Give your idols up, burn them, throw them in the fire because the Lord is working and He is sifting the true from the false and He knows every one of your hearts. Our only hope is the mercy of the living God that he gives to whom he will. You don't have him in your pocket. He has you in his pocket. So believe the gospel. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the anchor of the believing soul within the veil. It's not what you know that won't save you. There are many people in hell who know a lot more than any of us do it's not our experience. It's not a connection to a Christian family. There are many Christian people connected to Christian families who are in hell under God's judgment at this very moment. It is only mercy. It is only mercy. So for us, what should we have? Well, I am persuaded of all the good things. But remember, mercy and those who have tasted mercy, it does something to them. If you go away and think, hey, that's pretty good. I've received mercy. You haven't really tasted it. If you go to work, your workplace tomorrow, and you don't spend some time upon your face before the Lord, you haven't tasted mercy. Those who have tasted mercy, that the Lord is good, that He forgives and pardons iniquity and transgression and sin, it does something to them. Why me? Why would he forgive me? Lord, I have no idea. But I know I love you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your grace to me. I don't deserve anything but your wrath. And then from that comes gratitude. And then from gratitude comes obedience. We haven't tasted mercy if we say, Yeah, I hear you. But I'm holding on just a little bit to this one area of my rebellion, to this one particular idol and its secrets. And I don't want anyone to know what my idol is. Then you don't know mercy. Throw your idols into the fire. Today is the day of salvation. 
You know, every time God opens his word to us, he is present by his spirit and he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me and find rest under your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, there is only one fountain of mercy. And it flows from the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. And he has now ascended. And he can save you out of the worst rebellion the worst madness and darkness. So look to him and be saved. For worthy is the lamb that was slain. Pray that he will have mercy on each of us. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.